Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth, coming from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. I'm Nathan Owens. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan. And let me thank those who are listening this evening, allowing us to come into your home via this media. Thank you so very much. And we hope that you don't just stop by you listening. We hope that you interact with us. We hope that you encourage others to listen to That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. In the day and age that we live, uh, three years ago, if I had sat down with you and said, in 2021, we are going to have state of emergency in many countries around the world. We are going to have people fearful of dying more so than they have been in at least a generation. We're going to have controversy about what is true about medical science and just utter confusion. If I had sat down with you three years ago, would you have believed me? Well, there is a lot going on in the world today, specifically COVID, but there's a lot of terrorist attacks. There's a lot of confusion. And tonight's topic covers all of that. And tonight's topic is that of the providence of God. I don't know if it's a topic, something that you have sat down and considered before, something you could spend a lot of time really meditating on, but I'm sure there will be some great information that will benefit you tonight, encourage you, maybe even recalibrate your way of thinking about God and the world and the current events. Pastor, as we talk about providence, as we often do, let's start out by defining. How would you define providence? Well, providence basically has to do with the ongoing, continuing action of God as he is preserving his creation and also as he's governing the world in the interests of his purpose uh, to achieve a definite goal. So really, in truth and fact, it, it's about the preservation of the current creation that it is, uh, preserving um, not only just creation itself, but his people. And it has to do with the fact that he's governing the world and controlling the world, uh, bringing it to his ultimate uh, eternal purpose. So the idea of control and um, guidance is the key concept behind this matter of, uh, of, um, of providence. Pastor, how would you respond to the listener that says, but I truly believe that God created the world. I agree with you there, Pastor. Mm-hmm. But then he just took his hands off and he's letting it spin perpetual motion. Well, that is uh, a theory that is called uh, deism. Deism is basically that they admit that God did create planet Earth. But actual fact, after he created planet Earth, he established certain uh, laws that would govern the operation of planet Earth. And then he withdrew himself. 
and uh, now he's on autopilot, basically. And they see him as a kind of a repairman that periodically he intervenes uh, when man messes up. But really interesting fact, he's not so much interested in what is happening. He's just letting man work out his own purpose, etc., etc. That's a false view because when you study the scriptures, uh, it is so meticulous in explaining to us that God is actively involved in maintaining what he created. He's not just the originator of creation. He's the sustainer of it. And were God to just withhold his power, everything would collapse. I think all of us know that within the atom, there's tremendous power. As a matter of fact, when I study it and read about it, it's totally incredible what uh, power is actually within there and then how it's, it's kept together. Uh, and the Bible makes it very clear that it's God that maintains that and sustains that. And creation is dependent upon him. There's no such thing as a self-sufficient uh, creation. Uh, everything that uh, is, that is material, that is um, outside of God, is dependent on God, including the entire universe. I'm sure we'll probably delve into this more as we go on throughout the evening, but do you believe that God in his providence allows bad things to happen to people, let alone to his people? I would not even say that he allows it. I say sometimes he purposely inflicts his people. You read the uh, the uh, Old Testament and God's dealing with Israel. Every time Israel got into sin and got into idolatry and got away from God and into immorality and, and practiced the heathen, uh, heathen uh, practices of the, the, the surrounding nations, God would bring uh, a nation to chastise them deliberately. The Assyrians said he would bring the Babylonians but they were all instruments of divine chastening. And then after God had chastened Israel through those nations, God turned around and chastened those nations themselves. So there's no question that God sometimes, um, in his chastening, uh, deliberately um, brings into believers' lives trials and testings, and, uh, and that's a given. But that doesn't sound like the loving God that I serve. Well, it's just like a parent. I mean, we got a false concept about what is love, to be very honest with you. We think that love is some kind of a mushy, nondescript um, virtue that um, you just allow anything to happen. But every parent knows that they're tying when their child gets out of hand. Uh, disobedient, rebellious, and would sass the parent or throw some kind of a temper tantrum. Uh, on such occasions, you just can't let that happen. There has to be some consequence and some penalties. So I think even on the normal level, we can appreciate, even as parents, there are times when we have to administer corporal punishment, to use the word, or, or some form of discipline. And, and God is perceived as our Father. And similarly, we, we go away from Him. We get into things we shouldn't get involved in. And I think it's only reasonable that if He's a Heavenly Father, and we're His children, that chastening is proper and right. And uh, the Bible speaks about this, especially in Hebrews chapter 12. So um, love is not against... Uh, any discipline. Discipline is part of, of love. As a matter of fact, uh, Dr. James Dobson wrote a book called Tough Love, and he's calling upon parents uh, to get away from this idea of letting your child do whatever he wants, and explaining to them that in the process of loving your child, you should exercise firm discipline. So he calls it tough love. So can you have, not to run too far down a rabbit sure. trail, but can you have true love without discipline in a relationship between me and God in a relationship between me and a child that is virtually impossible so long as we're sinners and we and even with ourselves um, it's virtually impossible to, I mean 
even take a husband and wife situation, this is very close and very intimate, but there are times when you're miles apart. The things that people do that you hurt, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not even knowing you've actually hurt the person, and is recognized at the times when you have to make an apology, the times when it might require some withdrawal for a period of time to get your attention, and the other ways that women would use, of course, to let men know that, you know, I'm offended, basically. And I think that when we come around and we realize what we've done wrong, we're not holding it against them because they're right. And so we make all mistakes, and I don't think it's possible within a loving relationship that there will never be any kind of rebuke or any kind of discipline. I think it's standard part of it. As long as we're in a fallen world and we're fallen creatures, we'll make mistakes and um, correction needs to be done. You're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We are live. It is Tuesday evening, so encourage others to tune in to 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, or online at www.radiolighthouse.org. But don't just stop there. Go ahead and interact with us. The program is here, designed specifically for your interaction, and we thrive off of your interaction. We covet it. We look forward to it. You can call and be put live on the air, 268 462-7420. You can WhatsApp or text your question, 268-782-1454. Or if you're following us on Facebook, on Facebook Live video feed of the program, you can comment right there on your device, and the questions will get passed along to Pastor Murphy. And let me encourage you, if you have a topic It may be something that we have briefly discussed previously on That's Truth. It may be something you're not sure if we've discussed it. It may be something that we have not touched anywhere close to it. Go ahead and send it in. We would love to get your suggestions. This program is here for you. And the best way for us to encourage you, to help to edify you, is to discuss topics that are on your mind, on your heart. So maybe it's something that's being discussed or debated within your family, within your church, within your workplace. We would love to hear your suggestion and prayerfully consider discussing that topic. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that's just come in from Trinidad. Good night. Listening to your program, I have a question. In the garden, when Eve was deceived and enticed by the serpent to eat the fruit so that it would make one wise and as gods to know both good and evil, why do humans still exercise evil deeds since they know it's evil? Is it their fallen nature? Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, we all born, we're all born with a fallen uh, nature that we inherited uh, from our great uh, forefather, Adam. And every person born into this world is not born neutral. He's born a rebel uh, at heart. And that's why you don't have to teach children how to lie, how to steal, how to misrepresent uh, the facts, etc., etc. And the biblical teaching is that man is born with a sinful nature and that from the time he's born, um, um, as he grows up, um, that evil nature begins to take over. And, and, and you know, it's, I understand your um, dilemma that people should be able to reason things out. I, I see the same mistake made again and again and again. When I was uh, pastoring in uh, St. Vincent, one of the things that greatly concerned me it was the whole matter of how could somebody have so many children out of wedlock? And, and uh, it, it is so disproportionate for the children in terms of the 
um, what will happen to them in the future. I've seen people living in a house maybe maybe 12 by 12. And you've got six kids in there. And that's the bedroom, that's the front house, that's the kitchen, that's everything. And it bothered me greatly. I couldn't figure out, but can't they see what is happening? And then I will discover that the children that are born of that situation go and make the same mistake. And I'm saying, but this is crazy. I mean, you would have thought that being brought up in such harsh, difficult situations, uh, maybe you would have uh, reflected on it and, and decided to change. But the reality is that uh, we more uh, we we don't catch things we actually learn things by, by practice and by behavior and the models that are represented in our lives have greater impact upon us how we live and how we behave but it's all had due to the sinful nature that we've inherited so that's a given thank you to the individual who sent in that question pastor a question from anguilla good evening gentlemen what does paul mean when he says that all israel will be saved well, again, that's in um, the book of Romans, I think it's chapter 11. Uh, and if you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, you'll find that Paul sets out the whole program of God in relation to Israel. Uh, chapter 9 talks about Israel's past and um, tells them the privilege they had. Chapter 10 talks about Israel's blindness, currently in a state of blindness because we rejected the Messiah. And we Gentiles have been grafted in. And then in chapter 11, he talks about the time when God will once again regraft Israel into his program. And when that happens, the nation as a whole would repent and, and be, be saved. So he's talking about the future during the tribulation period, quite frankly, when God uh, uses the tribulation to purge and chasten Israel. And the nation will come to realize that they have betrayed the Messiah and that Christ is a real Messiah. And that's why... Um, when that happens, uh, that nation is going to be redeemed as a nation. Uh, right now, as you know, Israel is in unbelief. There are many Jews that get saved individually, but as a nation, we know that they still uh, don't believe that Christ was the Messiah. As a matter of fact, there are missionaries in Israel who face a lot of uh, hardship because of the teaching Christ and preaching Christ. The government uh, doesn't like that. They see Christianity as something opposed to Judaism. But the day is coming when their eyes are going to be opened, the scales are going to be removed, and unbelief will be put away. Uh, but that will not come without the chastening time during the tribulation period. And after that, they come to understand that the Messiah is truly Christ, and the nation as a whole repents and turns back to God. So it, all Israel is going to be saved. Question from a listener. Pastor, if God is, uh, has chose his providence, why did he allow Adam to sin in the garden? That is one of the great mysteries, and I have said this on the program before, and I would like to repeat it. I really believe that the whole story of humankind is wrapped up somehow in God resolving the whole issue between him and uh, Satan and his, and, and his minions. Uh, I think that um, rather than God seeing it being vindictive in, in um, dealing with Satan because of his rebellion, I think uh, man somehow is involved in the justice of how God is going to deal with him because here is God's enemy actually intervening in God's creation and bringing havoc. So I don't have a theological explanation. I don't have a biblical explanation. We're not told why. But I do feel that uh, it is somehow involved in solving the whole um, judicial problem that has been created since the, um, the rebellion of Satan. The other thing is, 
Uh, I think it is also designed as a means that um, human beings would one day be able to share in God's glory. That was the ultimate goal, and I think that all of this is working towards achieving that end. Um, But there's nothing that I can, I mean, this is one of the great problems of philosophy, of theology, and uh, there's some questions we just don't know. And that is why I, I would encourage you to understand that in the future we'll not be flying from star to star, from from planet to planet. I think uh, those of us who've got uh, so many questions, uh, we will get to know God and we'll enjoy His presence. But think of the 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 lecturing and the the, the excitement of learning and understanding the mystery of His ways. Uh, I think that is going to be something very very fascinating. So it is something we got to wait in the future, and uh, if the Bible is not does not speak explicitly on a subject, we got to be very cautious. And when we get into the realm of speculation, we always end up in some kind of a botched theology. So we got to be very careful about that. Is the Bible clear on how I can have a right relationship with God? Uh, uh, there's no question about that. When you read the Gospels, it makes it clear that no man comes to the Father except through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we want to establish a relation with God, we must come through by Christ, come through Christ, who uh, paid the ultimate price on the cross re- to redeem us, became our vit- vicarious sacrifice, made the atonement for sin, and now makes salvation available to us if we put our faith and trust in Him. So the simple answer is yes, and that relationship can only be established through faith in, and trust in Jesus. Once I have that personal relationship with God, what denomination does the Bible say I should join? There's no denomination in the Bible. We know one thing, that there's always been election according to grace. So there have always been saved people on planet Earth. So when I hear about these uh, cult groups, they're, re- they're reestablishing or restoring the lost truth. <laughs> I-, I smile in-, in dismay to think that how can you read the Bible and believe, actually, that there has never, I mean, God has always preserved uh, an elect remnant, quite frankly. But there's no uh, denomination uh, that is uh, specifically mentioned in the Bible. There's no there's a matter of denomination does not exist in the Bible. Uh, but I would say that after you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what is really important is to find a church that preaches and teaches the Word of God unapologetically, stands firm on Scripture, uh, a church that, in my judgment, is involved in evangelism and missions. And the other thing I think is very important, a church that is um, allows accountability and especially when it comes to matter we're dealing with finances, that the, ch- the members should be have an open system where people know exactly what is happening, what's going on. I think those things are very, very, very crucial when it comes to looking for church. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.50. Maybe you have a question about some off-the-wall topic. Go ahead and call in. The number is 268-462-7420. You don't have to have a question about the providence of God that we're discussing tonight. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. Pastor, as we return to the providence of God, awaiting questions as they come in, what bearing or impact does this doctrine have on Christians, and how does it help them? Well, I think it should help. Whether or not it does help is another issue because I think uh, people go into panic mode 
Now you take the the current situation here with the uh, the COVID. I mean, Christians are panicking just as as unsaved people are panicking. Quite yeah. frankly, uh, and and uh, there's so many issues that Christians are so wrapped up in. They want to know if this is the mark of the beast. And again, you could, could go to the Bible and understand this has nothing to do with the mark of the beast. Quite frankly, uh, but you know it's it's puzzling that we should be in the midst of this crisis. We should be the ones at least having some kind of balance and reasoning and. and and, and looking at uh, from a biblical perspective, but we are lost, uh, quite frankly, in the whole mess that is being created. But in terms of uh, if we understand God's providence, I think it should have a benevolent impact upon our lives, and I think it would help Christians uh, to know um, it should be a great uplift, for example, that we should be able to live joyful, confident, calm uh, lives once we have an idea that God is in control, God is guiding and directing uh, the, the affairs of this world, and God is preserving it. Uh, it would also give us a level of assurance. Uh, there's nothing that would assure us more than if we knew that God is actively engaged in the control of this world and the directing of our lives. Uh, if we believe in God's care, we can face the future confidently because we know that it, these are not random events that are happening. Uh, there's an eternal uh, purpose being worked out, and there's a sovereign God who is controlling the events of this world. And of course, it also means, uh, Nathan, that we can have a belief that God would answer our prayer because if He's involved in this world, He's active in this world, uh, we should have a, a great assurance that we're not praying in vain. There's not some kind of a non-entity there that is insensitive to what we're praying about or some, some being that is immaterial and, and impersonal. We deal with a personal God who's our Father. So we should be encouraged. If He's controlling everything, He's guiding everything, basically, and our prayers, uh, He told us to pray and we can be, we'll get our prayer answered, that should encourage us in prayer. And then when we face danger, we should be aware that, you know, these things are not just happening uh, when we face danger, that when we're coping with danger, we must understand that God is aware of these things, and God is also involved in this whole process. So it should give us a definite sense of confidence uh, as we live, once we grasp what the Bible teaches on this matter. As a matter of fact, uh, could you just look at Psalm 91 for just a moment, verse 5 and 6, and then verse 11. Psalm 91, verse 5 and 6, and verse 11. All right, that says, You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. I mean, it's very, very clear. I mean, you don't pestilence in that thing. You don't arrows, of course, the danger, military danger, etc., etc. David has said, when you put your faith and trust in God, basically, uh, you should have this confidence that you know He's in control. He's going to protect you, etc., etc. So those who understand providence, uh, as David did in the Psalms, in the Psalms, uh, he exudes that that confident spirit, and that should be part of our Christian life. However, let me just say, Nathan, that because we believe in providence, um, it is not justification for living foolheartedly or imprudently. Uh, we must, at the same time, be very careful uh, that we, while we guard against anxiety and terror, that we are not, in a sense, uh, being reckless. 
So Providence doesn't endorse it that we can just be reckless in how we live. Because but, I won't die before it's God's will. Right, yeah, that kind of a thing. Or, you know, you know, uh, throw yourself down, and he's promised that he will preserve you, and you won't get, even dash your foot against the rock. And Jesus said, you must not tempt the Lord thy God. You don't put yourself in deliberate danger. It's like these snake handlers in America, right? Yeah. Because uh, the Bible says you'll take up snakes, and therefore it will not be poisonous. They, they just decide. I mean, that is folly. That is foolhardiness. Yeah. If a guy's on a missionary trip, or he's doing missionary work, and he's in the jungle somewhere, and uh, in the process of doing his missionary work, that is what God is talking about. It's an accidental thing that happens that God would preserve. Like Paul, when he was on the island of Malta, when he lit the fire and a viper bite him, they said, ah, he escaped the, 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 the ocean, but certainly the gods are after him. Now he's going to be dying. And then when they discovered that Paul didn't die, they were amazed. They don't want to worship Paul and Moses as a God, quite frankly. But that's what we're talking about. So we've got to be very careful that our confidence in God's providence does not lead us to live a foolhardy life and to take unnecessary risks. There's no justification for imprudence when it comes to these matters. Another question from a listener. The nation of Israel will be saved during the tribulation, but what happens to the individual Israelite who has all who has already passed on and did not acknowledge Jesus? of who he is. Well, what happens to every person who dies outside of Jesus Christ? Eternally separated. Eternally separated. I mean, that is, that is, you know, I must be very honest with you. I've had moments recently reflecting because of my age and stuff like that. Uh, my mom has died. My father has died. There are times when I reflect on it, do I really realize uh, that I had so many opportunities and did I witness to them as much as I should? Mm. Uh, it, it, it frightens me. I mean, to think about it for just a moment. I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in, in what we're doing that we don't really understand what it is for somebody to, that we know, that we're in contact with, that we, didn't, we don't really see them as doomed. And then we have to live with that in eternity that we had an opportunity and we just blew it mm. because... We didn't see the gravity of it. It's been gripping me very recently, uh, thinking that way. I think it comes with you as you grow older. You begin to reflect on the fact that your time is limited as well, but you're going out into eternity to meet people that you knew, friends you knew, uh, schoolmates you knew, family members you knew, and you did substantially nothing really to, to really show them the urgency of the matter. So to answer that question, the reality is that people who die outside of Jesus Christ are eternally separated from God. And that is not something that um, Pastor Murphy is saying. That's something the Bible teaches on this matter. It's called the second death. It's found in Revelation chapter 20. A question from a listener in the Southern Caribbean. In my country, I have noticed that no vagrants have succumbed to COVID-19. Note well, they are in the public places without masks, sitting, sleeping, and eating out of trash cans. They are blanketed. Are they blanketed under God's providence, or is it because they are immune to the virus? I can't answer that question specifically. Uh, I would suspect that most of these people have probably had COVID. Uh, remember that COVID was in the Caribbean before people knew it was COVID. Uh, uh, people here in Antigua as well. Uh, and a high percentage of people are asymptomatic. Yeah. So there's no question that they didn't know what it was. They were treating it as a common common flu, et cetera, et cetera. So it could be very well be that those people have become uh, immune. It also uh, should 
say a lot to people like the, the health officials because if I'm seeing the vagrants and they're not coming down with COVID and they have no protection, it should ask, I should be asking myself as a medical doctor, what's the secret? And, uh, you know, we just recently had uh, Colin Powell died, a uh, um, great American leader uh, at one time, and he had vaccine vaccinated twice no question as one of the great leads of America he probably had the best medical care that was possible when he took in but it still took his life uh, so it, it's one of those situations where you wonder um, what really is happening and this is where I think the confusion comes in uh, about this whole vaccination etc cetera, etc cetera. I, I myself have become a little bit confused recently and it's just a matter of great, great, great concern. But I don't think we can answer that question definitively. I'm assuming that they've got some immune immunity to it. And, uh, of course, God has promised to take care of the poor. The other thing I would say, uh, you might not have heard uh, of the vagrants dying, but um, because hardly when a vagrant die, anybody knows. Yeah. So it could very well be that some of them have died and that the government has borne the responsibility of, of burying those people. So I think it's hard to, to take that as a standard for judging what is really happening. It's also important to remember comorbidities. Co, I didn't even know that word existed. Yeah. Comorbidities. Uh-huh. Uh, in other words, like diabetes or... Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have any kind of cancer or that yeah. type of thing. It, it seems to I me- know Colin Powell had several. Or, or a couple is yeah. what I had read. It's almost, it's almost like an opportunistic disease. It's about yeah. the AIDS. People don't really die from AIDS. True. People die from the complications that AIDS cause. So, and I think this here as well is, is true about this whole matter. So obesity is a big problem. Once you're an yeah. obese person, it's a very big problem. If you've got uh, blood pressure and you've got, uh, you're got diabetic, that's another big issue. And if you're a smoker, think about what that means because it's a long, long disease, basically. So you're right about that. There are added complications. WhatsApp question from Antigua. Good evening. With reference to the question and answer about all Israel will be saved, can Paul be wrong according to the answer given? Well, it depends. If you, it depends on what position you take on the Bible. Uh, basically, if you believe in the inspiration of the Bible, that God inspired the Scripture, and that what is there is what God intended, and God used human beings to convey what He wanted us to have. You cannot believe that Paul can be wrong. If you have a different view on the Scripture, it, it, you know, uh, approach the Bible, you've got to decide which is inspired and which is not inspired, and that makes you the final authority. And uh, that is not a, a true standard biblical orthodox position that an evangelical Christian should take. You cannot. You either accept the Bible as it is, or you just... Um, look to another book, but you can't be picking and choosing when it comes to Scripture. Uh, Jesus himself said not one jot or not one tittle from the Word will ever uh, pass away. Uh, so, I mean, if you're challenging Scripture and creating, believing that there's some things in Scripture that are wrong and, and Paul said wrong things, you're actually undermining the integrity and the deity of Christ. It's, it's that serious. Uh, so, I would say that uh, it's impossible for Paul to be wrong in that respect. Are the New Testament books truly scripture or perfectly calculated? Are the New Testament books truly scripture or perfect calculated script? Honestly, there are too many twisting and misquoting of the Tanka in it. Tanka being T A N A K H. Well, I don't know what the Tanka is. I had to check that it word. It is. Uh, 
Tanka is the Hebrew Bible, is the Judaism's foundational text. The word Tanka is an acronym of three parts, the Torah and so on and so forth. No, I've, I've never, I'm not familiar with that, that, that particular expression. But again, um, the remember that the Jews, um, and you, I, I mean, you know, the Jews, you might be talking the Orthodox Jews, they're still, they're not people who embrace Christ as Savior. They're not people who believe in Jesus Christ. So these would be what you call Orthodox Jews that hold to the Judaism. But Judaism is not the same as Christianity. As a matter of fact, there's a great clash between Judaism and Christianity in the Bible. The book of Galatians in particular is one of those great expressions. So because a person's a Jew and they have a particular uh, Bible that they hold to, that doesn't mean it's a foundation on which the Christian Bible is, is, is built. Uh, we are built basically on the what is called the Masoretic text, which is the, the Jewish text, but not the same text I suppose that the the Jews would use within the Orthodox teaching. So don't equate uh, the fact that Christianity was born out of the womb of Judaism. Don't assume that because the Jews hold a particular line of scripture and the one that we have vary with theirs, it means that ours are wrong. Uh, that that is a false reasoning, uh, quite frankly. Um, God has preserved His Word. Uh, we have His Word. I think anyone that approaches the Bible, studies the Bible, reads the Bible, and asks God about the Scriptures, I don't think there's any question in anybody's mind. You come to the country, this is a unique book. This is God's book. From beginning to end, is very, very clear. The the unity of the book, the depth of the book, the kind of issues the book deals with, uh, the prophecies the Bible makes, etc. There's no other book on planet Earth that can equate with Scripture. As a matter of fact, there's no other book outside the Bible that is within any particular religion that has done such extensive work on prophecy. And then there's no there's no one to compare with Christ. I mean, he is he's not just an ordinary man. He's the God man. He is God in human flesh. There's no redeemer like him. There's no one that can save. And there's only one religion that ever deals with the whole question of human sin. And that's Christianity. It solves the problem of human sin. Uh, no other addresses it as the Bible does. No other uh, explains how we got to the condition we're in and why we're in the condition we're in. The Word of God explains that. Uh, it's just um, it is. Um, I would say to you that anyone that is honestly searching for God and will go into the Bible and ask God to open their understanding to reveal if this is truth, I don't think that they will in the question of mind that they'll reach that conclusion that this is God's book, this is God's word. Thank you for all the questions that have been sent in. We look forward to continuing to send in questions. And if you're listening and you would like to have a little more assurance of why we believe that the Bible is the word of God, Pastor did a program a couple of years ago specifically on that topic. And let me tell you how to get to it. You can just go to Google, type in That's Truth Podcast, and you can choose your provider, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Anchor.fm, and then look at the archive and look for episode number 9009. And it is entitled, Why We Believe the Bible is the Word of God. And that should help to answer some of your questions and put your mind at peace. A WhatsApp question that has come in from Anguilla. Exodus 32, 2 and 3 states that both male and female were wearing earrings at that time. My question is, is it okay biblically for male and female to be wearing earrings today? Well, let me put it this way. I don't think you can use the Old Testament precedent, what is going on in the Old Testament, to be a standard for uh, a norm for um, modern Christians to live. Uh, There's no question that in the Old Testament we recognize that um, 
both wore earrings. That was part of their culture. Um, I, I don't think that the standard should be, because it was done in the Old Testament, should be done in the New Testament in terms of, a, unless there's some biblical principle that we're talking about. After all, they stone people for... <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the reality is that we have to look at, um, you know, worldliness is something that is defined and looks differently in different eras and different epochs. Uh, for example, in the 60s, uh, really the, the hippie movement, I mean, that was drugs, sex, long hair, etc., etc. Uh, any person as a Christian during that period of time that um, uh, identified with that, with the same type of, of, of long hippie type of hair, etc., it was naturally perceived by the people in the world that these were worldly people, and Christians were rightly advised not to go in that direction. Um, today it is tattoos all over the body. I mean, this is worldliness. This is this nothing? You're taking God's body and you are <clears throat> you are actually saying that, you know you're dissatisfied with it. So you're going to have to add all these different patterns, and then it's going to affect you because you can't donate blood, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, you can't remove it, etc. Why would anybody want to do something like that? This is a worldly thing. This the world is setting the standard, and the fact, sad thing about it is that the Christians are following suit. We should be the ones setting the example and the model. So the the trying to find an excuse for you, using earrings, which a lot of people use by referring to the Old Testament, doesn't in any way um, <clears throat> um, justify the use of earrings today. When I see, I remember um, about when I was in Saint Vincent, Saint Lucia, pastoring. <clears throat> I was there for 10 years. I remember we brought down a team from New York. And, uh, I mean, I've been in Antigua almost 20 years, so that's maybe about 25 years ago. And they were helping us out in a uh, visitation and helping us out in a tent crusade. When those people arrived in Antigua, I had had an immediate meeting with them in the church. They had girls who came down with earrings in their nose, earrings in in their eyelids, earrings in their tongue, I mean, they like they came from outer space. I had to meet with them and said, listen, if you're going to minister in St. Lucia, you got to take those things out. Nobody's going to take you serious as a Christian because that's not the way they, they that's the way of the world. That's not the way they were Christian. No. And uh, we had, I really had to have a first meeting with them to say, if you're going to minister here, you're going to have to remove those things. The reality is that um, nobody in, in that condition could have gone to St. Lucia and talked about witness about Christ and tell about God. Just saying, you, 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 um, you're just a fake. You're just a hypocrite. You're just a worldly person, quite frankly. So I don't think that the uh, going back to the one in Exodus, that's not a basis for using earrings today. We got to ask ourselves this one question: Does this identify me as a Christian? What do people think when I when I dress this kind of way or act this kind of way and put on this kind of things? Uh, that's the big issue. Does this represent Christ? Would he be pleased with it? Uh, not is it a fad, etc., 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 etc. I think that should be the. Remember what the Bible says: Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever, do it for the glory of God. That's what I. Uh, uh, by the way, to do something for the glory of God is to put God in display. In other words, that when people see you, you are a manifestation of God in some way. That people are drawn to God as a result of seeing you. So ask yourself the question: uh, When I dress a certain way and I put on earrings and all, I mean, put in these things, men put on these things in the nose and the ears, wherever. Uh, what do people think about me? Do they think of me uh, as a Christian? Do they think that I'm glorifying God that way? Or are they repulsed to think that I'm following the ways of the world? I think that's the basic criteria that you should use rather than just trying to find uh, a justification for doing something that was an Old Testament practice. So you're saying that <coughs> culture and time period 
does affect how we're perceived by the world as Christians. Oh, definitely. I remember when I was coming up in the 60s, if a person had sideburns in, in, in certain churches, there was, they were worldly. If they wore a beard, they were worldly. If they wore a mustache, they were worldly. I mean, uh, if they wore bell-bottom pants, they were worldly at the time because that was the sailor pants, quite frankly. So there, there are things that you have to understand that the, at the different periods that you live in, worldliness is expressed in a different way. Uh, whether you're following the direction of the world and influenced by the world, a lot of it has to do with the the way you dress, the way you act, the way you carry yourself. Um, but that changes over time, and then something else becomes a fad. That becomes the thing of the world, and again, you've got to see, am I following the world? So I don't think that something that was, um, for example, and use another example, I don't think people today perceive a mustache as worldly or sideburns as worldly, but back in those days, it was a very worldly thing. And uh, people were warned at that time that you shouldn't do it. Uh, so I think that in this time, we, we warn people tattoos, for example. I mean, you can't say in the Bible there's anything that says you should not wear a tattoo. But why do you want to go in that worldly way? We warn people how you dress. You, you don't want to have your dress so cut that it's below your, your breast, that people can see your breast, or your, your neck is cut out, your arms are cut out, stuff like that, or your, your dress is too short or too tight, whatever it is. You want to dress modestly. That's the principle, modestly. But it is expressed differently, and I think that um, church has a right, uh, pastors have a right when they see this worldly trend to warn the people that, you know, this is, this is not conveying a good Christian message. But that changes over time depending on the times in which we live. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, and we are very thankful for all the questions that have come in thus far. If you have a question, you can call and be put live on the air, 268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268-782-1454. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8-12. We're talking about the providence of God. And my question for you, Pastor, is why would God... An all-knowing God who knew the end result of COVID, and we don't even know the end result yet because COVID is still with us. Why would God allow COVID to, we won't delve into how COVID got started, but why would God allow COVID to start and to cause havoc in the world if he is provident? Well, look, um, there are a lot of things that are happening and has happened before that people have a lot of questions. No, we, we're only speculating. We don't know because there's not any particular word in the Bible to this matter. We do know this, that it's a moral universe. It's a moral God that runs the universe. We know that God will intervene and punish because of our moral situation. Uh, when AIDS happened, for example, there's no question in my mind that that was a judgment of God on the homosexual community. Let's not forget that AIDS is a product of the homosexual community. People have forgotten that. If we didn't have any homosexuals, we would not have had AIDS. Uh, a lot of people don't, do, don't want to talk about that now because um, it seems to be offensive to those people who engage in the in LBGT, whatever it is, quite frankly. But let's remember that when you think about AIDS, you can see that it was a just judgment on God because of the, what, what was involved in the moral acts of those people. God had never designed the human body to engage in homosexual activity. No question about that. Any medical doctor who's worth his salt will tell you that the, 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 the anus was not designed for the penis. 
I mean, that's a given fact. Uh, doctors are not bold enough to make those kind of statements, but that's the reality. The truth of the matter is the anus is a, uh, is a, a sewage canal. That's what it is. That's what it was designed for. The abuse of that, no doubt, led to the complications of, you can imagine mixing what happens in there. So therefore, it was not surprising something that should have happened, quite frankly. In terms of uh, the matter of now coming back to COVID, there's an element of human responsibility in all of this kind of thing. We're now discovering that there, you know, these uh, powerful world powers are trying to get biological weapons. So they're trying to uh, take natural forms of, of um, viruses and trying to manipulate them and add different features so that they can wipe out populations. This is what happened with COVID. Uh, with the Chinese and the Americans, I understand, have actually been giving them money to help do this kind of research. So we can't, we can't uh, f- uh, exclude the fact of the human factor, that we are dealing with things and we are manipulating things that, that should not be. We should not be trying to see how we can kill people, quite frankly. Medicine is about trying to save people's lives, etc., etc. The other thing is this. Um, it is possible that God has given us a wake-up call. I mean, this world has become so complacent as though, uh, I mean, we're getting further away from God. The moral state is becoming so depraved that what God condemns of abomination is now being normalized. You've got people who are marrying men, marrying men, women marrying women. Uh, just now, I have no doubt in my mind, you can have pedophilia allowed where boys and men would be able to have sex together. Take Bodhijay, the crisis America is having with the... Um, the uh, the supply problem with all these ships, the boats outside. He is on two months maternity leave with his boyfriend. Uh, I mean, imagine a, a man who is a a, a a political leader given a position of transportation. I think it was responsible for. And he has two months maternity. He's a man. He can't have a child, but he's a woman, and his 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 uh, his partner is a male. You, you think about that when God. Not only that, Nathan. America excluded. America has killed 65 million babies since 1973. You think a God who is moral can look down uh, dispassionately on what is happening? And that's only America. That has to do with Europe. Europe is worse than America, quite frankly, when it comes to abortion. Think about China and what they have done. So I think that uh, we cannot absolve the fact that God has allowed this for a purpose. And I think part of it is a chastening on planet Earth to bring people back to the consciousness that they're mortal, make us aware of eternity. And I think this is all part of this whole thing. The other thing I think, Nathan, is this. I think for the first time, it has opened people's eyes to what is yet to come. Uh, the Bible talks about the uh, the coming Antichrist and how he will use the economic coercive power of government to make people take a mark uh, so they cannot buy or sell. We have now seen this, that it, what it takes people to do what they do not want to do voluntary. The government uses the coercive power of economics. If you don't take it, you lose your job. You can't work. And people who, they're doing it. Why? It's the power of economics, the power of the of money, quite frankly. And that's exactly how we see what's happening. You know, people say, but how, how, how would one person be able to, a government able to get people to t- receive a market abuse against their will? The answer is this. Use economic coercive power. You can't buy anything. You can't sell anything. And we're seeing exactly that working out in a minor form, but it gives us an understanding of how commerce can be used and economics can be used to push people to do things which of their own free will, if they did if they had another choice, they would have gone a different. So I think it is 
preparing us and helping us understanding what is yet to come. But I also think it is God's judicial punishment bringing planet Earth back to a sensibility that there is a God. You cannot continue living this reckless life and doing all these immoral things. One other thing, Nathan, imagine that what happened recently in America, that the U.S. Um, Congress has passed a law that a mother can kill a child just before the child is born. Now imagine that. What's the difference between a child in the womb 15 minutes and after 15 minutes the child is born? I mean, can there be anything more cruel and inhumane? Uh, and I'm convinced that the people in Parliament in America have got their conscience seared. And they've come to the point now where I think uh, they've crossed God's great line. And I think you're going to see things happen that you would never think would have happened to the, to the great country of America. It is on decline. And I think part of it is because of God's judgment of what, how far they've gone away from God. And they keep going further and further and further. And nobody seems to have the common sense to understand what is happening. We as Christians can understand what is going on. Quite frankly, I, I can understand, see what is happening, why it's happening. But to my mind, the politicians are seared; they're blind, and uh, and I think because of the, cr- the crimes that they've committed against humanity, in terms of especially abortion, I think that is one of the great unpardonables when it comes to God dealing with people. Pastor, we have a caller from Antigua, Codrington. Go ahead with your question quickly, please. Yeah, uh, my question is this. Um, you remember in the Bible, the Bible says that um, Jesus and his disciples and them was um, walking or they were going somewhere. And this woman ran up to them and asked them to come and to lay hand on their daughter because she is possessed with the devil. And after she said so, she said, Jesus turned the woman away and um, the disciples and them begged Jesus to turn, turn her away too because they don't want to hear her because she tell them that oh, the woman is, um, her daughter is next to the devil and he, she, they end up and turn her away and after that they turn her away now. Why did the woman did have to um, beg them? If the Bible says that whosoever come unto me, I will never cast out, um, I will never cast them away from me. But at this point here now, they did cast away the woman because the woman daughter was left with the devil and she begged them and tell them that Jesus comes under the master table, the darkness seat, and then Jesus turned around and Well, I think the incident you're talking about has to do with a Syrophoenician woman and uh, who wanted Christ to, to help her. And um, remember that, um, according to Scripture, and you've you got you to gotta understand, the, the Christ came to bring salvation to the Jews. He is a Jewish Messiah. It was through uh, through his coming that eventually the word the word we reached to the Jewish nation. That is God's original plan. Just like in the Old Testament, God chose Israel not as an end in herself, but as a, as a means towards an end. Uh, and 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 so when he came on the scene, uh, he came to bring the, the the message to Israel, to bring repentance and faith to that nation, so they become a nation of evangelists to go into all the world. But he was rejected. 
in dealing with other nations and other people who were not Jews, uh, what our Lord wants to draw to those people is not just that they want a miracle out of Him. You know, He's a magic man, so let's just know. He wants to see how sincere they are, uh, how committed they are in faith, how importunate they really want what, what is there. And I think in those passages where our Lord is dealing with this lady and trying to make it hard on her, He's drawing out her faith. Uh, to see her, how importunate, how how much she really wants this child to be healed, how much she believes that he can heal her. So I think it's a matter of creating the environment where he's proving her, her genuineness and her authenticity of her faith and her true commitment. So even though he might have uttered a word that might seem insultive to her, yet she persisted. It's almost like our Lord talking about the woman who went to a friend at midnight and wanted to have something bread for the for the friend and he went to his neighbor and the neighbor said you know I'm in my house and I can't get up and give you bread but the Lord pointed out but she kept on asking he said even though he uh, she do, he gets up and does it not because he likes her but because of her importunity which means she, she keeps on hammering and hammering away uh, to show that she's genuine and she's real I think that's an incident an illustration of what is happening here he's trying to draw her faith to see how sincere she wants uh, she wants it and if she really believes in him so he throws everything to cause her to be discouraged. But the fact that she's not discouraged, she understands that he's the Messiah, he's the one who can heal, she persists, and she gets the reward as a result of that persistence and that importunity. And that's how God works sometimes. He doesn't always give us what we want immediately. And um, how serious are we, are, are we, uh, what we really want? And in the case of that woman, she was settled on it. And God said by the in this, I've never found such great faith in Israel. So even though, that's, imagine that. He is saying that this woman has more faith than the people in Israel. That's what he is trying to draw out of her, her faith. And it was rewarded. Okay. Thank you. Um, next week I will have another one for you. Okay, sir. Thank you so much for calling. Thank you. Thank you for calling Codrington. Stay safe. And we look forward to continuing to hear your questions in future weeks. Continue to listen to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Maybe this is the first time you've ever stumbled across the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Maybe you have tuned in and listened to the Lighthouse for many, many years. We are glad that you have taken time out of your Tuesday evening to listen to CRL and specifically to the live call-in program, That's Truth. Not only can you listen on the radio, but you can also listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org. And you can also watch the program behind the scenes on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and then you can comment your questions right there on your device Maybe you have a topic that you would like discussed. Maybe it's something you've never heard discussed in your church. Maybe you don't even go to church. That's not a problem. We will still be glad to answer your questions and hear your suggested topics. Maybe you're curious why the Bible says what it says or doesn't say something about a particular topic. We would love to hear your input and consider it for a future episode. Again, the more input that you can give us, the more practical and effective this program can be. We're talking tonight about the providence of God. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that's come from Antigua. And it says, Pastor quoted, not one jot or tittle will be removed or changed. 
pastor quoted, not one jot or tittle will be removed or changed, perhaps added that Jesus spoke of. Wasn't Jesus referring to the Tonka or Old Testament? No New Testament was penned as of yet. What are your thoughts, Pastor? Yeah, he's right about that. I mean, there's no question that when he spoke those words, he's referring to the Old Testament. But I was trying to explain that that's the high respect our Lord had for the Old Testament. When it comes to the New Testament, if you want to debate on that one, our Lord said that the Holy Spirit will come and he will guide him into all truth and bring all things to their remembrance. Uh, So again, he has prophesied even before he left that there would be a New Testament, quite frankly. So this same Christ that endorsed the Old Testament also um, endorsed the fact that the New Testament was going to come. And so I don't see the problem. All I'm saying to you that because he has a, such a high view of the Old Testament, my point is he, he would have had an equally high view of the New Testament because he's the one that indicated how the New Testament would come. Uh, so I don't think there's any disparity between the two. You can't say the New Testament is less than the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, uh, his blood is the covenant of the New Testament. And remember that the word New Testament, no covenant. Old Testament means no old covenant. New Testament means new covenant. Uh, so I don't see there's a problem there whatsoever in that regard. So you're confident that the New Testament is just as much the Word of God as the Old Testament? Of course. And, and Paul, oh, by the way, uh, an example of that, when um, Peter is writing in Second Peter, Peter said that there are things that Paul wrote that uh, people are having trouble to twist it, uh, like they do other scripture. Now imagine that. He's calling, taking Paul's teaching and equate Paul's teaching with the other scripture, which is the Old Testament. So he's put, he's put Paul's writing on par with the Old Testament. It's very, very clear as far as that matter is concerned. But that's another issue to be dealt with if you want to go through and, and talk about um, the inspiration of the Bible and why we believe that. That's another issue altogether. But uh, there's no difference between the Old Testament. You know, they're all, all Scripture is given by inspiration. If Paul's word is Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration. So God inspired the Apostle Paul. God inspired the, the Gospel writers. God inspired Peter. And all the New Testament writers, God inspired. It's God's word from beginning to end. And I would challenge anybody to read Revelations and read Genesis and tell me if one is not the beginning and one is not the end. It is so perfectly blended together. Um, So there's a unity of theme. Oh, complete unity. Imagine 40 writers over 1,500 years writing in three different languages, yet they are consistent in in one theme. I mean, you can't get... And and remember, 1,500 years, they didn't know each other, but yet all teach the one thing. There's one red line that runs from Genesis to Revelation, the redemptive redemptive blood of Christ Jesus, and the entire book from Genesis to Revelation is about the Messiah coming, the Messiah fulfilling His purpose, and the Messiah coming back again. One basic fundamental theme. We have 30 minutes left in tonight's episode, but still plenty of time for you to send in your question or to call in. You can call and be put live on the air, 268-462-7420. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. A follow-up. I I want to mention something, Nathan. Uh, We were talking about the, the COVID and stuff like that, and I mentioned about... Um, the corruption and the fact that the insensitivity and the the seared conscience, basically. I want to add one other thing. Part of this whole mess that we're in today when it comes to the moral um, relativism of our age, the church must carry a great responsibility. 
Why is that? And I'm saying that because the church have now embraced things that the Bible speaks against. You've got homosexual pastors, you've got lesbian pastors, you've got transgender pastors. So it has confused the world in relation to what is actually the absolute standard. You've got, uh, I mean, so, the Bible is clear on so many issues that the church, and I'm not the church, I mean the established church, the big church, for example, um, hold to positions that are so contrary to Scripture. So I think that we have come to this state not just because of what the world is doing, but because the the church that is supposed to be the moral voice and the voice for God has a tarnished voice, and because it has not stood with Scripture, it has more allowed culture to influence its doctrine and its teachings, and we are now in the moral mess we're in. I just want to say that, to say that the church is culpable in this whole matter. A follow-up question from a previous answer. Pastor, are you saying that it is okay for a woman to wear earrings, but not for a man? I'm saying as a matter of personal, people got to decide on that. That's not something that I can decide on for anybody. There's a matter that uh, are what you call gray areas. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, you know, when you read about not wearing uh, um, certain things, uh, jewelry and so on, he's not saying you can't wear any jewelry. What Paul is talking about is extravagance. Read the passage very, very carefully. Uh, a woman wearing an earring, or a woman wearing a watch, a woman wearing a, a chain, is, is, that, is, that is modest. But to wear a dozen chains and five rings on each finger and have a dozen earrings and so on and so forth and then got uh, chains around it. I mean, that is that is um, bizarre, to be very honest with you. So, But these are personal things that people need to be settled on. But I have no problem with a woman wearing her earring. I have no problem with a woman even wearing makeup, provided, again, that it is not extravagant, you know. She's not like a painted pumpkin. She hides little spots and make a... F- you know, we, we paint our houses, we paint our cars. I don't see why we can't... We should disallow one being able to use uh, things to, to hide blemishes, etc., etc. So I'm not one of those crazy people that believe that, that, you know, that... And people have got to be guided by their conscience with an informed mind from Scripture. And there are personal things that people have to make decisions on. There are gray areas that we can't dictate people's lives on. People have freedom in Christ. And as long as the Bible is not clear on a particular matter, we ought to give them some leeway in terms of making judgment on those matters. However, I will make one other statement. When it comes to ministering in the church now and positions of the church, like teaching and stuff like that, I do think the church should set standards for, for people. Uh, as far as people who hold positions of leadership and, and involved in different activities. So I think uh, that is where the church can have influence uh, in those areas. And if you're interested in hearing more, a whole program focused on Christian gray areas and how to make decisions in those Christian gray areas, you can go to our archive One way you can go to that is go to our website, www.radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second large picture that you see on the screen, which is a microphone. Right in the center of that photo, you're going to see a circle that says podcast. Click on that, and you will see an option for That's Truth Podcast, and click on the archive link. Look for episode 34. Episode 34, that was from 2018, and it's entitled Christian Gray Areas, and I hope that that will be beneficial to you as you seek God's wisdom in that area. Pastor, we have a caller from Antigua. Thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question, please. 
Hello, good night. Um, good night, sir. Tim, um, my question is for Pastor Martin, Pastor Murphy. Um, the Revelation speaks of the, the, just the beast and um, the false prophet and um, the Antichrist. And I'm not sure what order uh, they're in, but I know it also speaks of the beast as a wound, and his deadly wound was healed. My question is, is this beast a real physical person? And also, mentioning the fact that uh, the, the beast is, is, a, is, a, is a, um, have a deadly wound that was healed. Well, um, two things about the beast. Uh, in the book of Revelation, the beast is seen as a world empire, the final world empire. He's also seen as, in a second way, as, a, as a, the great political leader of that empire. So there are two ways in which that, that concept is used uh, for the beast, quite frankly. The, the, the other beast, which is the false prophet, um, he is... Remember that you have a satanic trinity, in the end time, you've got a divine trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have a satanic trinity in the book of Revelation. You've got Satan, you've got the uh, the uh, first beast, which is the Antichrist, and then you've got the second beast, which acts as most of the Holy Spirit. Remember that the second beast directs worship towards the first beast. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. So Satan's a great ape. He's a great imitator. He tries to pattern everything. So, you know, the same way you have a biblical trinity, you have a, a trinity of evil in the book of Revelation. But the beast uh, has to do, uh, two ways it's used there in the book of Revelation, it has to do with the, as a world empire, but also as the, the person that leads that world empire who's called the beast. It seems to me from uh, Bible prophecy that he is probably going to experience some kind of an assassination. Uh, the Bible talks about that, but then it's going to be healed. And I think this is going to be an imitation of the resurrection because he pretends to be Christ. In the same way Christ has been through a resurrection, I think that there's going to be some miraculous way in which this this uh, this person is going to be uh, brought back to life, as it were, or resuscitated, that it would be perceived as some great miraculous thing that has happened. So because he is claiming to be the Christ, he's, you remember Christ said, another one will come. I came and you didn't receive me. Another one is coming in his name. You're going to receive him. That's the Antichrist that's going to come. So I think he is going to be, uh, so to answer your question, in Revelation is projected as a, a empire, but also is represented as a person who is the leader of this empire, who is the great Antichrist, who is going to be somehow attempt assassinated, and he's going to be somehow healed. And I think the medicine will reach a particular stage that would seem as though this is almost like a virtual bringing back to life. Uh, it would be that, that kind of miraculous thing. So he can claim that, you know, what's so important? Christ resurrected, I resurrected. I was pronounced dead. But yet, uh, I'm alive now. And I think the world will go after him, as the Bible says, because it will seem a summer. And then the false prophet who calls down fire from heaven and does miracles in the, in, before people, saying, this is the Messiah, this is the Christ. You can very well see that the world is being set up for this monstrosity. People are anxious to see miracles. They want to see something spectacular. They want pyrotechnics. It's going to come. But it's going to come 
at the destruction of humanity because they rejected the true Messiah and gone after a fake one, etc. But that's what I, we can deal with that in, a, in another program if you want me to, but that is my initial uh, biblical understanding of that particular passage. Did that answer your question? Yes, thank you very much, Pastor. You're welcome, sir. God bless you. Thanks so much for calling. You're welcome. Pastor, we have a Facebook question. It says, Good night. I would like to ask Dr. Murphy's position on cessationism and continuationism. In other words, whether the spiritual gifts are, have stopped or whether they continue to this day. I am a cessationist, um, but I am not... Uh, let me put it this way, so dogmatic as to believe that God cannot reintervene again. For example, I, I don't believe that tongues have any role today. That's it, that's my belief. I believe that tongues uh, was, in the, and if I read the book of Corinthians correctly, it was a sign to Israel. Uh, read that passage, chapter 14. Uh, I believe it's a, a human language. I believe it is given where a person who can't speak uh, a, a language in a particular situation, God gives him that gift so he can evangelize and, and speak about God in that language. I don't believe it. it's some kind of a gibberish language or some kind of aesthetic language that, that cannot be understood. The word glossolalia in every case has to do with a human language. I don't think that gift serves any purpose in the church today. I don't understand why anybody in Antigua who's English would want to hear somebody speak in a language that they don't understand. And if that is going to be used, they must be done biblically. The Holy Spirit has directed us in the book of uh, Corinthians two or three at one time, and they must be an interpreter. I said that to say this, that a lot of what's going on in speaking tongues is just gibberish. It really does not have any kind of endorsement of Scripture, and therefore it's not in harmony with what the Bible teaches and what the Spirit teaches and gives us through inspiration. Having said that, I also believe that the gift of prophets is gone. I think the Bible is complete. We don't need a prophet. What we need is people to expound Scripture and explain what is coming in the future. But there's no role for the prophet today because the word is... There are going to be uh, two prophets that God is going to raise up in the end time again, and uh, we, we know about that in the book of Revelation. Those are the only two prophets we are told that are going to come. So I believe that that is... The gift of um, healing, I think, is another gift that I... I, I in my judgment, I, I don't see the... The Bible tells us in James how to go about healing today in terms of the church. But the idea of a person being a miraculous person with a gift of miracle going around the place saying he's healing people, a lot of these guys are fake people. And I haven't met any real one yet, quite frankly, in that regard. So I do feel that there are some gifts that uh, have that are no longer relevant. But I also believe that most of the gifts that you find, there are 19 of them, I believe a lot of those gifts are still available. Uh, this is a matter of interpretation, a matter of opinion. Uh, I can't be absolute in these kind of situations. I'm just looking at the the current situation as it, I see it. And I think a lot of people are being misled by people who are claiming to be prophets, people who claim to be speaking in tongues and stuff like that. Uh, as Paul said, I would rather understand three words of my understanding than, than speak a thousand words that I don't understand. It's a powerful statement. Uh, yeah, powerful statement. I mean, no question about that. The, the mind that... Remember, I keep saying on this program, the Bible appeals... Is, the Bible is about truth, and truth can only appeal to the mind. And that's why the mind is so important. Faith comes by hearing, by hearing by the Word of God, uh, the Word of God impacting the mind. So I am a um, not an absolute cessationist, 
but that is, I'm more inclined towards believing that some of these gifts not uh, 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 are no longer relevant, but I do believe that the vast majority of them are relevant today, as Paul talked. There are 19 of them. Thank you to the individual who sent in that question. We have a WhatsApp question from Antigua, Zachariah 823. And they're asking you to explain it. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Can you please explain this verse? Um, I I, would, I want to deal with that next week, but I'm going to talk, tell you what, it, what that's about. That's talking about the time when um, the millennial kingdom, uh, when our Lord rules from from Jerusalem, uh, those who yet remain uh, will be want to go to the Jews to worship the Lord in Jerusalem. So this is yet a futuristic thing has to do with the millennial kingdom when the kingdom is established. Uh, and, and we know that Christ will sit on the throne of David as was promised in Luke um, uh, during the millennial kingdom. So this has to do with the millennial kingdom after the tribulation when the nations that uh, in the treatment of Israel, we are told that in, uh, the nations will be judged and those that were favorable towards Israel during this time of tribulation, they are allowed to go into the tribulation, uh, go into the millennial kingdom, and they will now go up with the Jews, grab hold of the Jews that we going up to worship the God, the, the God Jehovah. So that is yet futuristic. That is not something that's going to happen in our time. That's yet futuristic. But you want to discuss for a little Yeah, bit? I think I would like to go through the chapter itself so the person can see why I say what I'm saying. Thank you for all the questions that have come in tonight. A lot of great interaction. And there is still time for you to still interact with us. The phone number to be put live on the air and the number, the line is open and available. Call 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268 782 1454. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed. Comment your question right there on your device under the video feed or beside the video feed, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. We are talking about the topic of the providence of God. Pastor, you mentioned early on that the providence involves two aspects of God's active engagement in the world. And if I heard you correctly, for the first one was uh, preserving creation, and the second aspect was guiding or directing world events. These are pretty involved high claims. Is it possible to back these up with evidence? I think it can be easily wrapped up with the evidence of Scripture. The Bible is very, very explicit on, on these matters. Uh, let me just say, in terms of preservation, that God's preservation not only relates to creation, but it also relates to the preservation of his people. He keeps his people. Those are two aspects to his providence that whatever happens, he's preserving creation, but yet he's also preserving his people. Uh, that is one aspect. The other aspect, of course, is his governing and control of his historical events to bring it about to a final purpose that he has predetermined will happen. So those are two things. Uh, let's talk about, uh, for just a moment, this idea of preservation, that God preserves his creation, etc., etc. There are several passages of Scripture that speaks of this, pre uh, this preserving 
rule of God. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Nehemiah chapter 9 and, and verse 6. Verse six. And, oh, go ahead. Okay, that says... You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worship you. I mean, that is a very clear, explicit statement of God's preserving everything he's made. The, the thing we're trying to say, uh, Nathan, is that creation is not self-sustaining. It is not self-sufficient in itself. It is dependent upon God. If God were to uh, remove his involvement on this entire universe, everything would collapse. This is what he's preserving. He's not only the originator of what is, but he's also the sustainer of what is. And that's a great passage that talks about his preserving power. Look at Colossians chapter 1, 17. Colossians 1, 17 says the following, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Hold together. That's the idea. Everything. He holds everything. He's the cohesive force in the universe that keeps this whole thing together. What I'm saying to you is that this planet is not on cruise control. There's a God who is actively involved. He's eminent in creation. He's transcendent, but he's also eminent in creation. He's actually involved in it. And here he is. We're told he, look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. But that's different than saying that God is each aspect of the creation. Oh, yeah. God is not... We're not talking about pantheism, that God and creation are the same, but we are saying that God is actively involved in creation, holding this creation together. Hebrews... Chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He upholds the universe. He keeps this universe. He is involved. He's active. And you mentioned uh, at the beginning about deism, and that's the fault of deism. Uh, there is no innate sustaining power. In the earth, in the universe itself, God is that sustaining power, and this is the biblical doctrine. This God, in His providence, is preserving, He's keeping, He's sustaining uh, whatever He's created. So, um, I think it is very, very clear from those passages that He's involved in this matter of preserving. So, the Bible re- re- rejects any teaching, any suggestion that Earth is an automatic pilot and it has any innate force that holds it together. God is that force that keeps everything together. Doesn't that go? against uh, to say that the world is just holding itself together or on autopilot doesn't that go against the second law of thermodynamics that everything is everything correct everything deteriorates uh, if you that's why evolution for example is a fallacy yeah. evolution is, is, is talking about uh, creating something that wasn't there and, and, and everything the law of thermodynamics says that everything deteriorates etc it comes from order to disorder and so even that scientific law is against evolution. It's against any idea that this thing is sustaining, quite frankly. If anyone differs with that conclusion, I encourage you to get a home, get a radio tower, get something that you have to maintain in this world. <laughs> it doesn't take you too many years and sometimes even just a matter of months before you realize that everything has to be maintained. Exactly. Precisely. Uh, and, you know, that that's encouraging, really, to know that God is involved. He's eminent. He's not just transcendent. So that is... Clearly, then, that he's involved in preserving his 
creation, his order, nature, whatever. But the other thing I think is very significant, Nathan, is that this preservation also extends to his people. He's preserving his people and protecting his people, and that is part of his care of his people. And that is such a um, an encouraging um, concept that the God of the universe is not so busy that he doesn't have attention to keep me and to preserve me and involved in my life. Is that just a good feeling that we say as Christians, or can you prove that from Scripture? Well, let's let's take uh, an example of that. Let's take God dealing with his Old Testament people, because I think we have very good example. For example, you remember before the famine would come that God sent Joseph ahead, yep. even though his brothers thought they were doing him ill. Yet Joseph later pointed out, you know, you meant evil, but God meant good, and he sent me ahead to preserve you. So that is why, I mean, look at that. That's a miracle in itself, that God foresaw the time of climatic change that would bring about famine in the land, that way down the line, somebody had to be somewhere to preserve Israel. What does he do? For some reason, they get the boys because of some kind of nepotism. They get jealous, basically, and sells him. They don't have any idea that God has preplanned to preserve the nation of Israel and prepare them by sending uh, Joseph ahead. You remember also uh, how he spared Israel from the genocidal um, um, destruction. You remember when you had the the uh, the Egyptians wanted to wipe out the Israelites because the population was growing while they were down in Egypt growing and they decided, Pharaoh decided we need, we need to solve this problem and uh, you might call it the final solution as Hitler thought, we'll just destroy these Jews you remember how God was able to turn the hearts of the midwives and rather than drown the baby boys they preserved them again, that is God's problem now imagine if that did not happen there'd be no Moses if there's no Moses, there's no Exodus. If there's no Exodus, there's no promised land. So that gives you, again, he's preserving. But he's, when Pharaoh, the greatest power at the time, is trying to destroy and annihilate Israel through genocide, God has people placed there. Even Pharaoh's daughter, by the way, has become sympathetic by hearing a baby's cry and take the very Moses, who is a Jew, cares him, brings him up in the palace, not knowing that he's the one that's going to deliver this is God's preserving, this is God taking care of his people, etc., etc. And of course, um, bringing them out of slavery from Egypt. Ten plagues. Um, and in many cases, when one pl- the plague was happening in part of Egypt, where the Jews were, it wasn't happening. There was light when there was darkness. There was no disease when there was disease. God made a distinction between the Egyptians and the Jews. His people, he's preserving his people. Also remember in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness. Now, imagine providing for a million people in the wilderness going to a desert. Yet he provided manna for 40 years. He provided water when it needed to be water. And sometimes he even gave them a special diet of quails. Think just about how much water that took to maintain one million people for one day, let alone 40 years. It gives you an idea, quite frankly, that it's a, it's a miracle. The Exodus yeah. is a miracle. And God has uh, preserved his people. You remember when they went into the land of Canaan, there were nations that were far superior, far greater. And you have victories that the odds were against the Jews. But again, God intervened in miraculous ways to preserve his people and give them victory. And of course, we can't forget 
Esther yeah. and I Haman. Jotted down. Uh, Haman, his, his, his anger, is, is his humiliation by Mordecai because he has to parade Mordecai, not even knowing that the king is going to promote Mordecai. He thinks he himself is going to be promoted. The king said, what you do to a man you want to promote because Mordecai saved the king's life. He thinks it's he now. So he wants the best thing, put out the red carpet, uh, put him in the chariot, send somebody before him to hail. He said, you can do that to, to, uh, to Mordecai. <laughs> and Haman is... He's so peeved, and he decides, I've got to get rid of this guy. And you know the story. He built a gallus, nine feet tall. God miraculously intervenes. And the same man that intended evil to Israel is hung on his own. Again, God preserving his people. We could talk about Daniel, prayer, and uh, the conspiracy among those who want to get rid of Daniel. King, make a decree. Nobody should pray except 30 days. Anybody pray to any god, you throw them in a fiery furnace. And Daniel went to the window, opened his window. As he prayed three times a day, he continued praying three times a day. And then the conspiracy against him, he's thrown into the den. And what happens? It lands, it's used as a pillow. And Daniel is preserved in the land's den. The three Hebrew boys who would not bow to the image uh, of Nebuchadnezzar. They are thrown into the the fiery furnace, and they come out unscathed, God preserving his people. And our Lord, uh, um, um, you know, there's so many other examples we can use, but the whole idea is, is not only is preserving nature, but clearly he's also preserving. That is a profound uh, doctrine that should encourage the believer that you live right, do right, and uh, God will not in every case. Remember the Hebrew boy said, look, we know God can deliver, but if he don't deliver, we're still not bowing. But generally speaking, God preserves his people, and that's clear in the life of Israel, it's clear in the life of the Hebrew boys, and I'm sure it's clear also in their lives. I don't know if you could ever look back on your life and think of times you could have died yeah, at least three times in my life, I could have been, could not have been here. Twice I almost drowned, uh, and I remember the wave washed me on the shore. I just couldn't swim. It washed me on the shore. I could have been crushed between a vehicle going to a wall. I stupidly went between the vehicle and the wall, and I barely escaped. I said to myself, I could have been dead. You know, you should be able to look back on your life as a believer and see that there are times when God has wonderfully intervened. And I think in eternity. When this whole video of our lives is replayed, we're going to see times when God intervened, when we were in tremendous danger. When we think that there was no danger, there's danger. You'll be surprised yeah. how much God has preserved us. This is a great uplift to us as believers to know that we have a God who cares and who is preserving His people. As you were talking, I was just thinking about how answered prayer in itself, if you can point to a spot in your life where God answered prayer, that is a sign of God's providence. I think that is perhaps uh, one of the greatest proof that is a real, true, and living God. And I think people, I'm glad you've mentioned that because I'm actually thinking of doing prayer after providence because I want to see the connection between the two. And I've been reading a book by R.A. Tari, How to Pray. Uh, profound book, small book, nothing large. Very simple, but very, very, very profound. And I've been saying to myself, quite frankly, that this is our great failure, quite frankly. I think that the the greatest need that we have today in the church, if we can get God's people become a praying people. I've actually been thinking about the possibility of revival uh, 
and see if I could probably ask some pastors to just meet a certain time and we just we just pray. That's all we're doing. We just praying. We we ain't talking, we doing the Bible study, we just praying. And because every single revival that I can read of started, started with, with a few people earnestly seeking God in prayer. And I think that is one of the great things that we need uh, today. And I hope that we can bring the church back to that. But it would require discipline on our part and sincerity on our part. As we wrap up this episode, uh, a specific, I can think of three or four ways that God very clearly has answered prayer just in my lifetime. But I think back to when I was a child, my parents were missionaries in Niger, West Africa, and my grandmother was living in the central United States. And on a particular given night, it was not a real safe country where we were, on a particular given night, uh, someone was attempting to break into the home, cutting through the rebar door uh, to the back door of the kitchen. And at that same time, my grandmother in the central U.S., this is before email, this is uh, back in the late 80s, and uh, my grandmother just had a very uneasiness, and she wrote it in her journal that she had a real burden for my father Uh and his family. And years later, when my parents came back on furlough, she was sharing over the dinner table uh, hey, Dwayne, what happened on this particular day? And she went and got her journal, and my parents were able to point back to it was the exact same time that someone uh-huh. was attempting to break into the house, uh-huh. and they had cut most of the way through the door, but thankfully they got startled and left. But that's not coincidence. That's God's working in my life and the life of my family, and I hope that you can point to a point point in your time, at some point in your life, where God has answered prayers. It may not be that definitive, but like you said, Pastor, I'm convinced that as we see our life played out, that each of us will have multiple of those that we just weren't aware of where God was working and providentially provided. I say amen to that, brother. What a wonderful testimony. Praise the Lord. Be sure that you stay tuned in for next week as we continue this topic of the providence of God. Stay safe. Keep your radio dial tuned to CRL. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.